When you bring your child home for the first time, you want a baby monitor you can trust. When you choose Stork, you choose technology trusted to monitor 10 million babies in hospitals every year. Stork continuously tracks your baby's pulse rate, oxygen saturation, and temperature. Visit MassimoStork.com to learn more. Stork, a revolutionary baby monitor, is born. Stork is not a medical device. Read and understand all product labeling. Massimo data on file. One of the biggest challenges that plagues new parents after their baby is born is how to manage and function on little sleep. That postpartum haze can, quil can feel quite thick when mom is caring for her night-waking child. Today I'm thrilled to welcome back our expert to the show, Dr. Wendy Middlemiss. She is an associate professor in the Department of Educational Psychology at the University of North Texas. Today we are discussing tips for a more peaceful sleep for breastfeeding moms. This is The Boob Group, episode 90. Breast milk, it does a baby good. Silly daddy, boobs are for babies. I make milk, what's your superpower? If my breastfeeding offends you, put a blanket over your head. Dairy diva. Don't be lactose intolerant. Nursing nature's own breast enhancement. Meals on heels. Whoever said there's no use crying over spilled milk, never had to pump. Breast milk, all udders are inferior. Whatever your point of view, we're here to support your breastfeeding goals. We're the Boob Group, because mothers know breast. Welcome to the Boob Group, broadcasting from the Birth Education Center of San Diego. The Boob Group is your weekly online on-the-go support group for all things related to breastfeeding. I'm your host, Robin Kaplan. I'm also an international board-certified lactation consultant and owner of the San Diego Breastfeeding Center. Did you know that we have over 80 episodes ranging from breastfeeding newborns, infants, and toddlers? Just download them from our website, theboobgroup.com, or use one of our apps available on iTunes and Amazon Marketplace, or subscribe to our podcast through iTunes and have our episodes automatically added to your account each week. Today, we are joined by two lovely panelists in the studio. Ladies, will you please introduce yourselves? My name is Rachel Rainbolt. I am 31, and I am the author of the Sage Parenting book, and I have three wonderful little boys who are now 8, 5, and 2. Hey, my name is Christina. Um, I'm 28 years old. I'm a stay-at-home mom. Um, I have one son, Gregory, and he just turned a year on the 2nd of this month. Ah, happy birthday! <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and I'd like to very quickly just introduce MJ, our producer, and she's going to talk a little bit about our uh, virtual panelist program. Mm -hmm. Hi guys, I'm MJ. Um, I actually am a stay-at-home mom as well to my two-and-a-half-year-old son, and then when I'm not busy with him, I get to have the pleasure of working with Robin and producing this show, which gives me an amazing opportunity to help support moms through their breastfeeding journey. Those of you who don't know about our VP program, it's a great way to join our online conversation when we record. If you're not local or you just can't be in the studio with us, but you still want to share your story or your opinion on our topics, you can. When we record, we post on our social medias the same questions we ask our in-studio panelists. Check out our website, theboobgroup.com, under the community tab, and you'll find more info on being a virtual, virtual panelist and possible perks for participation. All right. Thanks, MJ. Mm -hmm. When you bring your child home for the first time, you want a baby monitor you can trust. When you choose Stork, you choose technology trusted to monitor 10 million babies in hospitals every year. Stork continuously tracks your baby's pulse rate, oxygen saturation, and temperature. Visit MassimoStork.com to learn more. Stork, a revolutionary baby monitor, is born. Stork is not a medical device. Read and understand all product labeling. Massimo data on file. 
All right, so for our boob group, we were given an app to take a look at today for one of our app reviews, and it's called GS Preschool Games, and it's for three to six-year-olds, and it has lots of different games like Match the Shadow, Jigsaw Puzzles, Finding Different Letters of the Alphabet, and so a few of us took a look at it to kind of see what we'd think. So, uh, Rachel, do you mind sharing what you thought of it? Yeah, well, I have a five-year-old and a two-year-old, so I figured two of my kids would fit nicely in that little window. Um, I found that most of the content was a was a, it was sort of below what my five-year-old would be interested. I mean, he's working on you know like reading books and things, so like identifying letters and that sort of thing. He wasn't so interested in. Um, it was really bright and flashy, um, so you know it captured my two-year-old's attention which could be helpful, you know, if you've got like a few minutes to kill where you, <laughs> you need them to be exactly. still and quiet for a minute or two. Um, so that was that was pretty much the extent of our... Of our playing around with yes, it. Yes, <laughs> okay. playing around with it. Cool. And, you know, my kids are a little bit older, but I know that there there was an app that my son used to use that, that's fairly similar to this, and it was also free, um, where he had to find the letters. So while he was learning his alphabet, he did find that it would capture his attention for, you know, a good five, ten minutes if we were sitting, waiting in the doctor's office or um, waiting to pick up his brother from school, for example. Um, and he also did, like, the matching the pictures as well, looking for shadows and seeing where the pictures went. Um, so I think, you know, it's something that probably when he was closer to four, he would have, you know, had a good time with. Um, but really getting up to probably six, probably a little bit below what he was kind of used to working on, say, in school or maybe some other different apps that we were using. So, um, you know, I'd give it, I, I, I don't know if I'd give it a thumbs up or a thumbs down. It's kind of in the middle. Um, but, um, but it definitely was something that I think he would have used a couple years ago. MJ, what did you think of it? I definitely liked putting the puzzle together. I, I have a two-and-a-half-year-old, so I don't know if he necessarily captures attention very much. But, um, you know, I, I think that definitely in a, in a bind be something that we could both maybe, you know, do together. And maybe I could teach him more about, um, you know, and, and show him how to do things because, I mean, he picks stuff up so quickly. Um, and the, the maze, you know, that that... It seemed pretty cool. I think it'd be something that um, I would wouldn't mind trying in a bind, definitely. Um, but I think I'd have to do it with him at this sure, point. Sure, sure. So. Well, so for our ratings, I think we will we'd all give it a thumbs up. I mean, it's great that it's free. It's great that it's safe. We know that when they get on it, that they're going to have a very limited amount of stuff that they can kind of get into, and um, and it's something that will keep their attention for a little bit. So, thumbs, thumbs up. up. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. So last time we had Dr. Wendy Middlemiss on the show, we chatted about the science behind breastfeeding, bed sharing, and sleep training. Now I'd like to take all of that research and use it to offer tips for how moms, breastfeeding moms in particular, can get more sleep. Our expert, Dr. Wendy Middlemiss, is an associate professor in the Department of Educational Psychology at the University of North Texas. She is also the co-editor of a brand new book called The Science of Mother-Infant Sleep, Current Findings on Bed Sharing, Breastfeeding, Sleep training and normal infant sleep. So hi, Wendy, and welcome back to the show. 
Hi, Robin. How are you? We're great. We're great. We're so glad to have you back. Um, Wendy, first let's start with what normal sleep looks like and what babies' needs are around this sleep. Um, when I when I was reading your book, I found one super interesting fact was that compared to other animal neonates, humans are still fetuses for 9 to 18 months after birth. Um, what does this mean in terms of a baby's needs during this time period? Well, basically what, what that means is that... Um, a baby can't take care of itself or or himself uh, and needs the care of others. And that becomes very obvious for, you know, for all of us. We all understand that a baby can't um, find food or warmth or do any of the things that, that lead to survival. What we don't see so readily, but what we're learning very quickly as we're able to explore more about the human brain and the nervous systems is that a baby also needs as much support in terms of regulating all of the bodily systems. So um, being able to calm down, uh, being able to transition to sleep, um, a baby can begin to, to give us cues about what needs are, but the systems that, that will eventually be our emotional uh, well-being and our social well-being are elements of the infant that the, um, that the caretakers have to, uh, have to kind of maintain. And that it takes a little bit of the time for the brain to develop those circuits. In other mammals, because well, because of our because we stand on two legs, um, and given the the physiology of birth, our human infants are born with a very immature brain, and so then that will need to develop over time, and that's really what caretakers need to provide uh, during that time period. And so with relating to sleep then, what, obviously babies need to wake up in the middle of the night. And so what are normal night wakings for babies at different stages? For example, two weeks, six weeks, three months, six months, a year in toddlerhood. Because I know that this really changes. It changes a great deal and it changes individually uh, really for for each baby. There are patterns and there are expectations that you can have, but each baby will be a bit different. So, you know, moms who have more than one child know that uh, that they saw great differences in sleeping patterns and, and other types of, um, you know, developing behaviors for their, for their children. But by two weeks of age, you know, in, after a baby is just born all the way up actually even to about a month of age, the patterns, many of the patterns that govern sleep and um, patterns of sleep that, that we think of as natural, which are really just adult patterns of sleep, are developing. Our circadian rhythm, under, you know, the, that physiological sense of uh, night and day having uh, longer periods of sleep at night really doesn't develop for that first um, for that first month. So that's you know, that's just a pattern that begins to develop. In the beginning, uh, babies are much more likely to spend a couple of hours sleeping, a couple of hours in a, uh, variations of an awake state and then back to sleep and awake. A lot of waking will be governed by when they are hungry, uh, so they may eat and then fall back to sleep. Um, but it, it's very rare that, um, that there isn't uh, just a, a a continuing cycle of that that wake and sleeping, and that will happen for the first month or two months. Someplace between three and four months, you'll begin to see 
uh, on average, longer periods of sleep during a nighttime. So that's that circadian rhythm. And there's an ultradian rhythm as well that, that governs the patterns of sleep. And they will become more regulated over time, and those cycles will become better developed. And so by six months, most parents will see uh, a much longer, for the most part, a much longer period of sleeping at night. Uh, infants will, you know, vary a great deal both individually and um, across different infants in how much help they will need each night in returning back to sleep because we all sleep and then wake and then fall back to sleep uh, as adults and as children and as infants. Infants very often will wake and um, require some level of assistance to return back to sleep, whether they're hungry, whether they're uncomfortable, whether they are startled. Um, and so it it's common for and, and normative for infants to uh, to require that attention when they return back to sleep. And the more we attend to that, the um, the better regulated that cycle becomes. And even though people will talk about uh, you know, if I attend to my infant at night, then they're going to be in the habit of needing care. Um, for a short period of time, that will be the case. But then as that system regulates and develops, then, then that, will, um, that will pass away. Uh, it will be all the way up until about three years of age for many infants before there's a real uh, sleep pattern where they don't wake up at night and they won't require attention. And for some, that comes earlier and then goes away, and then some... Um, it, it doesn't stay until, uh, you know, about three years. It's just, it's a real variable um, pattern for three years, which isn't, isn't fun to hear, but then that means that if that's normative, then expecting that is, is norma normative as well. And then what parents can do is to try to figure out how they can fit that best into what they need to do. Absolutely. And I, I, I had no idea that it was up to three years. And that really makes a ton of sense. I think when you're in the thick of it, it seems like, oh, my gosh, how am I going to do this for three years? But knowing that it's normal, um, I think makes things seem a little bit more reasonable. And especially also thinking just about when kids are teething, or they're learning how to walk, and they're sick. I mean, even my seven and eight year olds, when they don't feel well, like they're back in bed with us, and they wake a ton in the middle the night just like we do when we have a cough as well and so attending to those needs every, everyone needs their mom yeah. <laughs> I still call my mom Uli, you know, yeah I don't live with my mom when I you, still call her when I don't feel well <laughs> when you know that other moms are going through the same thing it kind of just lets you uh, you know yeah. you, I mean you just feel better too you know you're not feeling like you're so alone and I'm the only one. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. So Wendy, how would parents know if their baby's sleep pattern and night wakings are are a problem? Like they're they're not normal. They're they've been exacerbated. Well, I think that's very hard to tell in the first year of life. And I know that there's a sense that if babies are waking a certain number of times a week or um are requiring attention during the nighttime that that is indicative of uh or predictive, I guess, of later sleep problems. The science doesn't support that uh, very clearly or very strongly. Um, there will be infants who have had problems in that first year who will continue to have problems, but it's a very small percentage. And I think um, 
for parents, one piece of uh, information that may be helpful for parents who are going through that is that waking can be normative and waking can change a good deal. Um, so infants who have been sleeping through the, what you know what parents would consider to be through the night um, may then stop doing that for a while, dependent upon you know developmental changes, physiological changes, all sorts of different things. Um, so if parents can go in with you know face these sorts of things with the sense that that they're very changeable, um, then that may help them not necessarily see them as long-term problems. Uh, having a baby waking between six months and a year doesn't suggest that um, that they're going to have problems sleeping later on. If a baby is having very serious sleep problems, it, it's just there's so much waking in that first year. I, I think that it would be very difficult to identify that solely. And I think you would also see um, other sorts of uh, difficulties as well. But if your baby, when they're waking, is relatively happy during the day, um, they can become frustrated and they can you can help them calm down. Um, if they're, you know, not, at, you know, as toddlers, if they're, you know, not, if they're not showing excessive uh, sleepiness cues uh, when they're awake, then probably their sleep is fine. Okay. Uh, I'd love to open up this conversation to our panelists in the studio. So ladies, um, I realize so you have a one-year-old and a two-year-old, so a little bit older, but are your toddlers still waking at this point in the middle of the night? And were there times when you felt like their night wakings were more than normal? Rachel, how about you? Uh, well, when I had my first baby, I just thought that all babies were supposed to sleep through the night, and if they didn't, they were broken, and I, broken, and I was doing something wrong. Um, but then, you know, I sort of did my research and figured out that surprisingly, that's not at all the case. Um, and now, with my two-year-old, I have no idea how much he wakes during the night because he co-sleeps and. I know sometimes he rolls over and latches and then rolls back over and falls back asleep. But I think for us, shifting that focus from getting the baby to sleep through the night, which really means like sleeping like an adult, to just trying to get the most like harmonious rest together, like just was a game changer for us. And now I, I, I don't even know how often he wakes, which is nice. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> how about you, Christina? Well, we, um, we bed share and we do the crib. So um, first part of the night, he's in the crib, and he usually, normally, I'm going to exclude the last three weeks since he just got his two front teeth, <laughs> but normally it's about every two hours he goes to bed at about 6.30, um, and we get him back to sleep within five minutes, and then once we go to bed, he comes to bed with us, and like Rachel, I have no clue how much he wakes up in the middle <laughs> of the night, because he, he latches on, I fall asleep, and there's a few times that I'll pop up, and you know he'll be sprawled out on the bed, but so I have really no clue the rest of the night since we're bed sharing. Well, that's good. I mean, at least you guys, uh, you guys are getting good sleep. Yeah. So. <laughs> Most nights. <laughs> Wendy, um, night waking is night waking is often exhausting, especially if mom is back to work. Um, she might feel like her needs are not being met. Um, what tips do you have for mom in this situation? It is very true. Fatigue is um, it's very difficult for parents, and you know, it is one of the factors that can uh, make parents feel. Uh, very stressed in that that first year, and um, if I do have a sense that you know my baby is you know as as one woman said broken if if they're not sleeping through the night or I'm doing something wrong, then that can add even additional stress. But with uh, with many parents both working 
during the day, that sleep at night is uh, is very important. So the two the two people and panelists who are are talking have um, devised a way, both of them, to find a pattern where they uh, they can sleep fairly well and their infant sleeps fairly well. There will be people who choose not to bed share, but then one of the things to do is to try to set up a system um, where you can deal with the you know night wakings without generating a an extreme amount of fatigue. That might be uh, making sure that the baby remains uh, somewhere in the room so that you can attend to the baby quickly when they wake up and then uh, put them back uh, down and, and have them sleep. Uh, the more uh, there is research that suggests that uh, the more quickly are you, you're responsive to a child when they wake up at night and, and do the things that that are needed to make them um, comfortable, then they can go back to sleep uh, more quickly. So that might be one thing to do. Having one parent who attends to them on one night and another that um, attends to them on the next night can help as well if, uh, you know, depending upon you know, if you have breast milk in a bottle if you're, or how you're feeding the baby. Uh, but I think it's just that every family has to make those choices and try to figure out a way that will both address the fact that the baby is likely to, to wake up, and, and that's just one of the aspects of, of early sleep, and how they can attend to that in a manner that gets them the best sleep. Okay. And what should a parent take into consideration when deciding where their baby should sleep? So we have moms in in the panel who co-sleep, but also Christina does a little bit of crib as well. What what are some tips for deciding this when parents are kind of jumping into this, what they should do? Well, I think the uh, there are two big considerations, and, and then the rest are, are just things that, that each, you know, each family needs to decide. Um, particularly when a baby is very, very young, they really need to, the baby really needs to be uh, close with the mom. You know, the American Academy of Pediatrics will say that the, you know, up to a certain age, the baby needs to stay, you know, with the parent in in um, in the parent's room wherever the parent is sleeping. Uh, and that's um, protection against, you know, a SIDS event of any sorts and just being aware of the infants breathing through the night. And those really are, you know, the breathing through the night um, is the is the other criteria for the parent in terms of deciding where the baby sleeps. The baby needs to be in a space where their breathing, their airway is clear and they're sleeping on their back. There aren't um, soft pillows and such anywhere around. As that should be the other criteria. Once you have been able to take into account all of the safety concerns for infant sleep and um, keeping the baby nearby, then then the rest is really just up to the parent, whether they have the baby in the bed with them, whether they do more than one um, type of sleep location. It's just very important that whatever locations you're going to use, um, that you make sure that they're safe and it's kind of like baby-proofing a house. You would want to do that before you use them. I think one of the places where um, risk is often introduced is if you um, don't normally uh, uh, bed share, for instance, and then one night you 
you choose to because then your bed probably isn't a safe uh, location for your infant. So attending to those things first are probably the things I see as the biggest key in terms of deciding where your baby should sleep. Okay. And ladies, um, you know, one of the questions we hear a lot is, well, if I bed share, my kids are going to graze all night and I may not get sleep, but it actually sounds that the grazing is probably taking place and you all are getting a heck of a lot more sleep than other families. And so how, how does this work for you, um, Rachel? Um, well, we have a bed that's sort of sidecarred with our bed. So there's a twin-size bed that's right up next to our king. Um, they're kind of pushed together. So he has his own sleeping space, um, if you will, for the first probably half of the night where, he, you know, that first cycle of sleep is usually the deepest and the longest. So he sleeps there after he falls asleep, you know, I'll slide him over. And he's there for the first half of the night, and then that's when I can really shut down and get that really deep restorative sleep. And then at some point, he sort of scurries over <laughs> and will, you know, latch and then snooze some more and I'll be drowsing and sleeping and cuddling along with him. Um, and that's kind of what works for us. I think what also helps is that he falls asleep um, later. My kids fall asleep later and wake up later, which is sort of my natural rhythm. So then we are sort of on the same sleeping rhythm. Sure. How about you, Christina? Has Do you find that your son kind of grazes and yeah, how do you sleep through it? <laughs> I don't know. I do though. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, was just, it ever a problem? No, I've I've always been. I mean, I've noticed. But I used to be a really deep sleeper, and when he's in the bed with me now, I'm much more of a light sleeper. But him, it's usually if if he punches me or he kicks me, sure, then I wake up. Yeah. But if he just latches on, I, it doesn't bother me, and I sleep. You know, sleep pretty well. How about you, MJ? I was going to say we have the same setup as um, Rachel, so the twin uh, up against the wall and then our queen up against that. So kind of the the same thing, but I actually wasn't sleeping very good when we first started to really bed share because we were co-sleeping a lot and just bringing him in. Um, but then we just completely started bed sharing. And But what I found was I wasn't, I was like tense when I was nursing, you know, So I and I was trying to make sure that the latch was good and, and when we first started doing it. So I found, um, I told one of my mama friends and she said put a pillow behind your back so that you're not you know just all tense and and not you know having obviously restful sleep Um, and it really helped because I just kind of you know knew that that I was getting um, you know some sort of support yeah behind you Uh, had a training wheels for bed sharing exactly (laughs) exactly so so that definitely helped me because I wasn't um, my body was hurting the next day and really just not not getting restful sleep. So I, you know, I kind of corrected it with that. And I, we, I don't use the pillow now just because he's two and a half and he does the same thing. He will nurse and then pop off and roll over. And I do the same thing. I'll roll the other <laughs> way. We're butt to butt. <laughs> so it works good now. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah. All right. Well, when we come back, we will continue this conversation. And Wendy will discuss some more tips for some peaceful sleep for mamas. So we'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com.
Welcome back to the show. We are chatting with Dr. Wendy Middlemiss, and we are talking about peaceful sleep for the breastfeeding mom. So, Wendy, many moms are told to not nurse their babies to sleep, or they will always have to breastfeed their babies to sleep. Is this true? Um, If babies are used to this as part of their bedtime routine, will this routine be difficult to break if mom no longer wants to do this? No, not really. There's, you know, any changes if, you know, if a mom were breastfeeding her infant to sleep and then decided that it was time to wean the baby or to change the sleep practices, um, that can be done. It it takes time and uh, patience and, you know, it's, it's something that needs to be done in a responsive fashion. But if the question that moms have is, you know, if I'm, if I'm, you know, either sleeping with my baby now or am I breastfeeding my baby to sleep and then putting them down? Is, is this the only way they will ever transition to sleep? Um, the, the long-term answer for that is, is no. No, they will. Um, what you're helping to build very often are the regulatory systems and changes that uh, help an infant learn how to, uh, how to go to sleep um, and how to transition to sleep. And if you're breastfeeding a child to sleep or if you're just holding them or rocking them to sleep, that does become part of that, uh, that cycle or how they learn to calm down. But then as moms want to transition out of that, if that's a choice that they're making, then they begin to take that calming and create that calming um, without necessarily the breastfeeding or without the rocking. Um, and then you transition in, you know, away from that type of calming to a different type of calming. It, um, it would be something that, would, you know, that you would need to plan for and you would need to, um, to just you know, create that, that change. But it isn't as though if you're holding your baby while, you know, until they fall asleep or breastfeeding your baby till they fall asleep that, that that's going to be a requirement um, for them to be able to enter that, um, that stage of sleep. That calming is actually in that, that physiological transition is very important. But there are other ways to replace that calming um, if, you know, if the, if the uh, parent and the baby have, uh, are beginning to transition to a, a different choice of sleep routine. And that kind of actually jumps into my next question. Um, t- uh, Tony had posted this on our Facebook page that her 11-month-old will not sleep on his own at all. When she puts him in his crib, he'll sleep for about an hour or two and then wake up wanting her again. And so she was wondering how she can correct this issue or help him um, without him screaming not stop and she doesn't want to she says she doesn't want to be mean either Um, and so for parents who don't bed share what are some tips for dealing with this night waking without having to cry it out you know it's just something that uh, everything has to be done in um, in stages and small steps and I think that when we approach changing and changing a pattern with an infant in that manner then it's much more successful because we're not asking for a big change. If my uh, if I've always been there when my baby wakes up, then my baby is going to expect that I'm I'm going to be there, and uh, with that expectation, they may well become distressed, cry uh, when um, when that that isn't the case. So if that has been you know if uh, Tony's you know baby wakes and uh, won't go back to sleep on his own, uh, you know, be put down, you know, it may be way too much of a transition just to put the baby in the crib and, um, 
and leave the baby there to settle, even though they've been the baby's been he's been sleeping there on on his own. So um, I know that there are uh, sleep um, sleep uh, programs where moms are helped to settle babies by uh, by you know providing comfort without picking them up. So that would keep the mom present. That would keep the comfort present. And um, then you can begin to build, uh, you know, less uh, contact and less, you know, just more presence and less contact and, and move slowly away. But it's it's really a, um, you know, it's a it's a process. The baby has it has an expectation, and you have to change that expectation without necessarily taking away the responsive care. The responsive care is important physiologically um, and uh, in regard to uh, regulatory processes. So it's just it's just a matter of trying to um, to you know to to make that transition. I know when we talk about sleep training, you can extinguish an infant's crying, but that that doesn't um, that that doesn't replace the uh, that doesn't necessarily uh, lead to a lack of physiological distress or help with that regulatory system. So the other way to do it, and you know, as she points out, that she doesn't want to be in that position. The other way to do that is to find ways to um, to slowly decrease the amount of responsiveness, and uh, so that he becomes comfortable with her not being there, even if it's just um, you know, putting him down and rubbing his back for a little bit, and if he's very fussy, you know, just rubbing his back for a little bit and then picking him up, and then you know, little by little, that um, he will begin to feel the comfort of just that presence, and then she can uh, she can build on that in terms of a change. Okay, great, great. Um, Rachel, I have a question for you since you have a couple older children. So what did you find was helpful for replacing that kind of nursing to sleep as your children got older? What, it, what kind of routines did you build into this to help them go to sleep peacefully? Well, our nighttime routine included things other than breastfeeding. So like we would do bath time, I would do like massage or rubbing their back, and then we would read lots and lots of stories um, while we were all cuddled together. Um, and then whichever, right now my youngest who's nursing, he'll just nurse during the story time. So there's kind of this whole ritual around nighttime of which breastfeeding is one component of it. And I would say that I never really like weaned the other ones off of breastfeeding um, as part of their nighttime routine, just sort of as they, you know, grew and developed that just sort of, you know, they sort of aged out of it and, and found that they didn't need it anymore and were more excited about the stories than the breastfeeding yeah. and then and then just sort of naturally unfolded that way. Yeah. Christina, how about you? What's part of your nighttime routine? We we really don't really have one. It's pretty much we just breast when he starts getting sleepy, we start breastfeeding and he gets sleepier and sleepier and finally he falls asleep. Put him in the crib and that's that. We don't nice. have much of a routine, yeah. Well, no, that's okay. It seems it, like it's, it's working. working. It's working. <laughs> <laughs> We're not fixing what isn't broken. Exactly. <laughs> um, Wendy, you know, we have so much pressure as new moms dealing with others' opinions on what baby sleep patterns should look like and how the baby who sleeps through the night is just this, you know, good baby. That's, you know, what we're aiming for. How how can we challenge these sleep myths and our changing culture where there are so many people out there who believe that babies must become self-reliant at such an early age? It uh, It is a huge problem, and 
because very what we're doing really is defining infant sleep as good when it isn't really very normative in terms of a pattern for infant sleep. And I think that we change it by the types of words that we use and, and the expectations that those words suggest. I imagine particularly having young infants that, you know, or young children, people consistently ask, so how's your baby sleeping? Because it just, it, it seems to be the comfortable question that we can ask socially of new parents. And so it, I, and so one of the things that I've done is I refuse to let myself ask that question <laughs> because it, it, it then becomes the focus of the child. Um, you know, that, that are they sleeping or are they not sleeping? And the other is just to keep in mind what normative patterns are and, and when people ask, say, well, they're sleeping, you know, they're sleeping pretty well for being four months old, you know, or, you know, we have a fairly good pattern. Instead of focusing on the amount of the sleep, focusing on how it's working for you. Is it something that you're working on? Or, you know, it's working really well. We're working, you know, we're trying to change this one part or we're trying to learn. And having it more of a we than an infant is also very helpful, I think. We're working on this together. It's, it puts us all back into that um, into that that sense that, that infants aren't doing this on their own. And if they're waking up, it isn't because of something the parent's doing. It's just that we're, we're figuring out how it works. All right. That sounds great. Well, thank you so much, Wendy, and to our incredible panelists. We really, really appreciate you guys coming into the studio today as well. Um, so thank you for discussing this very important topic that's on the minds of pretty much all parents of small children. Um, and for our Boob Group Club members, our conversation will continue after the end of this show as Wendy will discuss her top tips dealing with nap time struggles. For more information on our Boob Group Club, please visit our website at theboobgroup.com. Making everyone happy on vacation isn't easy, but you know what is? Going to Aruba. All you have to do is walk out your door to find pristine pools, relaxing white sand beaches, and an island teeming with outdoor activities that'll put a smile on any face. You won't just feel great, you'll all feel great, filled with a calmer, more peaceful vibe that radiates Aruba's warmth. And the best part is, it never fades. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your family trip at aruba.com. So we have a story from one of our listeners. This is from Shelly Rogers, and this is what she wrote. I have a very positive breastfeeding story to share. When I had my first child four years ago, my mother was not the most supportive person while I breastfed my daughter. She wasn't outright against it, but didn't understand why I didn't give my baby a bottle or let anyone else feed her. I tried to educate my mom on breastfeeding, and I was formula fed, and tried to normalize breastfeeding for her as much as I could when I was around her. I just didn't know that she got it until this past December. My mom volunteers at an outpatient clinic at a local hospital. Last month, she and another volunteer noticed a mom nursing her baby while in the waiting room. The other volunteer asked the woman to nurse in a private area so that she wouldn't make the men in the waiting room feel uncomfortable, to which the woman obliged. When my mom found out, she told the other volunteer that her daughter, me, still nursed her four-year-old granddaughter and that she shouldn't have told that lady to nurse somewhere else. Then my mother went to the volunteer supervisor and actually tattled on her. Ha! I'm so glad that my mom understood how important breastfeeding is to me, and I cry every time I tell someone that what she did. So thanks so much, Shelly. We really appreciate you sending this in. 
That wraps up our show for today. We appreciate you listening to The Boob Group. Don't forget to check out our sister show, Preggy Pals, for expecting parents, our show, Parent Savers, for moms, dads, and with newborns, infants, and toddlers, and our brand new show, Twins Talks, for parents of twins. Thank you for listening to The Boob Group, your judgment-free breastfeeding resource. This has been a new mommy media production. The information and material contained in this episode are presented for educational purposes only. Statements and opinions expressed in this episode are not necessarily those of New Mommy Media and should not be considered facts. While such information and materials are believed to be accurate, it is not intended to replace or substitute for professional medical advice or care and should not be used for diagnosing or treating health care problem or disease or prescribing any medication. If you have questions or concerns regarding your physical or mental health or the health of your baby, please seek assistance from a qualified health care provider. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Hey, mamas. Don't forget to check out Mighty Moms. It's our online community built for new moms just like you. Not only can you connect with other moms, but you can also join us backstage for special mom-only online events. And you'll also be notified when we're recording so you can join us as a special guest. Visit our website, newmommymedia.com, and click on the Mighty Moms banner. It's free. That's newmommymedia.com. See you there.